Holy Toledo, that's Mitch Campbell. You're very good in the one about the tramp in the brothel Thank who you. gets amnesia and Thank becomes you. a pediatrician. You were very awesome. Actually, maybe my favorite character I've ever seen. I don't know why nobody else liked it. Oh. And we're back. Welcome once again to another episode of Mike, Mike, and Oscar. I am your co-host, Mike One. Co-host also, Mike, is here, and we are painted against the Wes Anderson backdrop for this episode. <laughs> yeah, it's exciting. We got his 11th film, and it's an Oscars profile, and you and I are back together, thanks to yes. our guest host, Scott Yeager, last week. Uh, and uh, we're, we're back getting a, a, a big, big movie for the spring here. I mean, this is fun, Mike. We got big movies in the spring past lives will be coming up soon for us we may have like a screenplay competition between those two but yeah oscar profiles happening now spring it's the end of june springs is it is it a weekday what's spring summer (laughs) (laughs) wes anderson's 11th film uh it is not past lives it is asteroid city uh and if you are a a person working in hollywood you are in this movie most likely as the cast list is long and varied uh and 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 white let's be honest i love how he works with white people and then he brings them back for every movie and Mm -hmm. there's just more and more just the adding them on. Yeah, look, as a white person, and we are very white, like yes, true. as white as you can get, like super Caucasian. Like if there's mm-hmm. a continent of Caucasia, we'd be, we'd <laughs> hail from there. And like as as white people, like this movie's this is like a white movie anthem, white person anthem, right? I mean, this is a white guy movie, no? <laughs> I don't know. The whitest? I don't know about that. I don't know if I would describe it as as such. Um, I don't know. I, I don't know think, what this movie is, to be honest. I think when they make fun of white people, t- five months from now, they're going to reference mm-hmm. Asteroid City. Uh, oh, I see what you... Oh, well, yeah, yeah, l- yeah. Let me just give you an example. Like the whitest teams of the football kids I'm coaching at this camp right now... Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I literally walked past the whitest team today, and they're like, "Did you see what Asteroid City? <laughs> <laughs> Did you see Asteroid City? It was a delight." Yeah, this is uh, a stereotypical. It could become a hallmark for uh, this is a hallmark Caucasians. white guy movie. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. Hey, it's it's you could champion it. It's a fun white guy movie. It's a good one. I hope Jeffrey Wright gets nominated for it, because this is just a mess. The diversity is not in this, nor Christopher Nolan's most recent films. That's uh, that's for sure in the cast list. But we are talking about Asteroid City. We are giving it the Oscars profile today. Uh, if you've not joined us for a review of that type, it's two reviews for a price of one episode. We, in the first half of this episode, will not spoil anything about the movie itself. We'll talk about our expectations, our viewing experiences, the cast list, the Oscars lens, etc., etc. The There will be a spoiler warning in the midpoint of the episode and the second half of this episode will be where we talk about spoilers all ins and outs of everything having to do with the plot so don't worry if you've not seen Asteroid City yet we will not spoil it for you in the first half of this episode Michael yeah I don't think we could if we wanted to (laughs) that's that's a fair point yeah anyway Focus Features is the distributor Asteroid City was filmed in Chinchon, Spain. I'm probably not pronouncing that right. Forgive me. Uh, for a budget of 25 million, and it premiered at Cannes on May 23rd of this year. Early box office reception is strong. There was a week of limited release where it did 3.2 million, uh, coming out June 16th, and then last weekend it went wider to 1,675 theaters and grossed what is a high mark for Wes Anderson in terms of limited releases, nine million dollars. So. So 
We have uh, we have an additional seven million overseas. So we have twenty three million dollars uh, on a on a worldwide limited release right now, which is pretty good business considering the theater count on a twenty five million dollar budget. So that's going to expand. It's going to go wider. And if you consider like what Wes Anderson movies have done recently overseas, they've done at least thirty million for like the French Dispatch of all films, right? So mm. this could be this could be a big hit uh, for Focus Features. Yeah, he doesn't really crack a hundred million worldwide. At least he, he has only done so once in his first ten films there. Um, but if this one opens at thirty, maybe it has a chance to to sniff that on the worldwide gross there. Yeah, critics love it. Seventy six percent on Rotten Tomatoes, seventy five Metascore. Audience scores are a little closer to the polarizing levels of uh, what did they call? What was that word? Divisive. Mm, mm. 61% on Rotten Tomatoes, 7.1 out of 10 on IMDb. It's just a B cinema score, which is kind of like a film festival movie reviewing, right? If it's a B or lower, you got to get scared. Mm. I uh, I have no idea what I watched personally, mm-hmm. but uh, I, I, I was fine with it. I was It was inoffensive. <laughs> <laughs> it was colorful. Yeah, it's nice to look at. The New Yorker had the best line. (laughs) The sherbet-colored asteroid city made me very hungry, remembering the days. It wasn't asteroid silly. You're right. Asteroid silly, sherbet colors. Yeah, Yeah, production design. We're going to get there. So, all right. We're both fans of Wes Anderson films. I know you like uh, Moonrise Kingdom quite a bit. Yes. I have I have a couple of favorites. I, look, I'm a life aquatic guy. I know people dog that movie quite a uh, you know a lot, uh, and it didn't do well at the box office. Royal Tenenbaums is probably my favorite, but Life Aquatic's good. Grand Budapest for me. What do you have any other favorites in that CV? Grand Budapest is probably. Uh if not my first and second favorite of his. Mm-hmm. And I, I did like Isle of Dogs when it came out a couple of years ago. Yes. Um, but Grand Budapest is probably also his strongest story. Grand Buda- Budapest is is Oscar nominated that many times for a reason. We'll get into yeah. it in the Oscar lens. I would agree. Uh, I do think there are elements of each one of his films in this movie. I think that's going to be important as a talking point here because... I didn't expect here here in terms I saw this three times and I had to see this three times, Michael, because I didn't get it the first time and the second yeah. time I didn't get it. I think we both read, you know, half dozen articles on it, half dozen think pieces. We watched a half dozen YouTube videos. So this is truly a film study for us where we're trying to figure out this puzzler. I did not expect to have to do that. I don't think you did either. I kinda wish there was a warning i try to go into every film not like knowing as little as possible about twists and turns and plot and all that right and he for his part set up what this is going to be i mean as as plainly as he could i think in the outset in the introduction of the film with brian cranston being the first person you see on screen right but i still wish uh, i wish it was reading what i right? read about it yeah read yeah reading what i read about it i I wish I knew that going into this movie to have that frame of mind to watch it with. I did not know this black and white modern modernist yeah. narrative with Brian Cranston and Ed play Norman, within a play thing. Adrian Brody, the play within the play. Well, it's even more than that. It's a play within a play within a play. Yeah. I didn't know that was such a storyline in this film to the point Same. where you're questioning everything. And then these characters represent actual Hollywood 
Hollywood movie makers of the 50s and you're on a 50s kick right now but I mean look 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 at some of these think pieces and look at the names that some of these right. playwrights and whatnot represent Tennessee Williams Marilyn Monroe there was a big director whose name escapes me now that Adrian Brody's supposed to be playing there one of the one Kazan. of the, maybe maybe it's Kazan and you got some titans in the industry before or while they were breaking in which was something that Wes Anderson talked about as one of his research projects going into this. So this is him kind of in a weird way deconstructing himself. And there's also some deconstructions of the deconstructive structures here. Oh my God, it is a brain twister. It's really about what it means to be human and breathing you know, air experience, breathing yeah. air on the planet. Although it actually kind of is. <laughs> <laughs> and then everything's a joke. Everything's an irony. Everything's a walking contradiction. Asteroid city population, 87. It's a city, only 87 people. In there. <laughs> uh, you got Hope Davis telling Scarlett Johansson, who's, who's an actress in this. Oh, you're very good in the one about the tramp in the brothel who gets amnesia and becomes a pediatrician. You are very authentic. <laughs> <laughs> like there's every line is like that. It's just really, really goofy and funny. So you get traditional Wes Anderson and, and you were analyzing the trailers weeks ago. Like this is the most Wes Anderson movie ever, right? Yeah, it felt, it felt very, very Wes Anderson-y for sure. And you get that in the, the experience of watching it. You say that you you felt he brought in some stuff from his other movies. Is that true? Or is it just that he brought in Wes Anderson? There's a, yeah, right there, but well, there's vignettes here, like little mini storylines throughout. And there's, there's such a huge cast of characters. Like you got a moonrise kingdom, teenage romance. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's one character that even looks like the younger brother. I thought he was a younger brother of the, of the, of the Sam Jared Gilman character from moonrise kingdom. There are trains mm-hmm. bookending the beginning and ending of the story. There's uh, the enterprising stargazers, reminded me of the prodigy Tenenbaum church uh, children. Mm. There's the journalism subplot, like in the French dispatch, there's even a stop motion uh, animated character who keeps wandering yes. into the frame. Like he wants to talk to people. <laughs> and then there's, there's, there's the aquatic scenes. Like you don't think, but it's on the socks of Tom Hanks. <laughs> so, like you couldn't figure out where to put the life aquatic references. He just threw them on Tom Hanks' socks. So look, I think you could go through this movie and pull out all the references from his other films. And I think there's like this meta commentary of him talking about how people have viewed his movies as kind of a conversation point ultimately for how the discourse is out there about certain things, especially about art. And that, that that is in the meta narrative. Uh, it's in the in, in the veins of this one, I would say. And we also agree. There's traces of Wes Anderson was very cooped up during COVID. This movie is kind of Wes Anderson talking about the pandemic. Yeah, there's no question about it. Thematically, yeah. uh, and, and obviously in terms of the plot, it's about the pandemic. He wrote it during the pandemic. You're right. He was cooped up. So yeah. We got to break it down in spoilers, but I guess we can review the performances. I'm curious, which were your favorite? I know you texted me one name, but this is such a huge, huge cast. And there's such a bunch of uh, flavors of performances that you can you know, pick from here. I will concede that Jason Schwartzman did better than I thought Adam Sandler would with the same material. 
good. We I'm have willing to yeah, progressed. back off that hill now. <laughs> we have progressed as a duo for once. We're meetings, uh, meeting the minds yeah. right now. Yeah, yeah, Augie Steenbeck, Jason Schwartzman. Uh, I love this type of deadpan acting sometimes, Mike, because it's like this poker face. For most okay, of but the it's scene. all Jason Schwartzman does. Right, right. But that's if you if that's what you can do, you do it, right. and then you just right. you you let people realize your tell on the on the on the poker face and then it's like this adorable revelation in that in every scene every single like scene they gotta put him and defoe in more scenes together they don't <laughs> defoe's in this as well but they don't i don't think they share a scene together but those are two ends of the, the acting spectrum where defoe does is so over the top animated and schwartzman is just deadpan all the time <laughs> did you think tom hanks fit in this one because at times i thought he was perfect and then he did his tom hanks thing and i don't know it was tom hanks playing a wes anderson character yeah i mean it's exactly what i would think a tom hanks performance in this type of movie would be i thought because i love scarlett johansson in this i thought yep. she's perfect for this kind of film and the and the comedy and, and with who she's playing obviously he's got such a troop here uh, that have been in every movie, and he doesn't. <laughs> if you act in one Wes Anderson movie, you're going to act in the next. Right, 10. you have job security. <laughs> Jobs, do you think? Do you think this is why Tarantino is putting a hard stop on his tenth film? Because at eleven, you just get too self-referential and you have nowhere to go. <laughs> well, I think in the same way that the Flash was supposed to be a reset for the DCEU into the no, DCU, it's a reset, all right. <laughs> this is kind of like a reset of the Wes Anderson universe in, in a way, because he's talking about his whole resume in this one, I think. Anyway, it's something again. You could be right. Uh, yeah. I, I'm just, I don't know. I'm floating it out there, but I, I, I tell you what, I loved Scarlett Joe and I loved Jason Schwartzman. But I really love the kids' performances. Those in this three movie. little girls were awesome. They're really triplet sisters, uh, Ellie, Gracie, and Will and Ferris. They're really freaky. <laughs> <laughs> they play Andromeda, Pandora, and Cassiopeia. Steenbeck. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> love yeah. the names. Uh, you got Je- I mean Jeffrey Wright and Tilda Swimp- Swinton vamping up there with those speeches. Uh, Ed Norton reading. Oh my God, reading just words on a page in mm-hmm. that accent is fantastic mm-hmm. and then you get all these goofy comedic performances you mentioned you texted me Liev Shriver was I want he needs to be in every that character <laughs> needs to be in, and it's a perfect pandemic character too because it's just a man on edge I loved him <laughs> I love the guy from Succession who was playing one of the Stooges for the largest yes. company yep. what's his name oh I wrote down a freaking no million idea. names <laughs> anyway the dude from Succession who's like the key lawyer He's, yeah, Fisher Stevens. Excuse me, Fisher Stevens is one of my favorites in this one. Steve Carell is also hilarious. Steve Carell, Maya Hawk made me laugh out loud twice. Yeah, she's not in very many scenes at all. She's very funny. Yeah, the friggin' campfire scene with her that had me going. And then I tell you what, as as weird as the the black and white narrative was, and it and it and it did take away from some narrative momentum, a couple of really good scenes in there. So as much as I want to nitpick that and, and just be like, what, you know, WTF, like there's a great scene between Hong Chow and Adrian Brody. There's a great scene between Schwartzman and a few people, Brody and Robbie and whatnot. So it's hard to get on up too much. So you let the cat out of the bag there. Um, big cameo at the end that was not advertised, at least in anything I saw. Was, no, was Margot she... Robbie advertised? Yeah, but she was, was she? I don't know if she was advertised, but she was publicized. 
in the cast. Well, she, okay, I didn't. I that was unexpected for me, and maybe it's just my my faulting. But I thought, oh, that was a nice little surprise at the end there. Well, did you recognize her early in the film on like the photo? It was so the photo for me was shown so quickly. I was like, oh, they want that to be the Margot Robbie type woman. I didn't recognize that it was literally Margot Robbie. Wow! But I didn't see. I like the photo was just too quick on screen for me. Yeah. Well, you're also, you got, like, Coke bottle glasses. Yeah, yeah, and I'm fighting. I'm on, like, two hours of sleep from the last week and a half, so. Yeah, you're having fun. <laughs> uh, so, uh, those are performances. Like I said, the, the performances by the kids, that's my, like, Ivan Lopez, really terrific. Grace Edwards, uh, just a big fan of all the, the younger actors in this movie uh, to, to bring Not a out. younger actor, but Matt Dillon, too, playing, playing the... Playing the <laughs> Yes. Straight out of Entourage. Yes. Uh, he, he looks more like his uh, brother Johnny Drama every day. <laughs> All right. Uh, we'll talk production values for a hot minute. Production design is nominated, right? This this particular production design. I know not every single production design from Wes Anderson movies has been nominated. The Grand Budapest was. This is like above and beyond because they made these sets. They made this look like a theatrical play set in the middle of the Spanish desert. Is there just a store that you can get, like, the Wes Anderson motif at? Because I don't know how they keep finding all this stuff that, like, fits this. I guess sherbet is a great way to describe it, but it's just, like, a very kind, filtered <laughs> production design I love for that. every one of his movies. It's gorgeous to look at. It's fun to live in and hang out in. And then you have several props and several uh, whole buildings or whatever they are, made out of cardboard or whatever, but it's whole whole facades that are just jokes. I mean, they're jokes, mm-hmm. and I love mm-hmm. it so much. So that that is fun. Uh, the costumes are involved. I wonder if I, I wonder if they'll get nominated. I think they have a chance. It probably depends on how competitive the year is. The Alexander Desplat original score, especially the stargazing theme, the magical theme there with the piano and and yeah. I, I thought that's a that's a very strong entry in the original score category. Lock. Yeah, I, it's it's an earworm. It's fun and it's yeah. and it's beautiful and it, it it's so distinct that you might get it, you might get it to have some legs. As for makeup and hairstyling, I I don't know what other what other production values. I mean, editing. I don't know if it, he he hasn't gotten an editing nomination for one of his movies. So this is a tough one in terms of an Oscar lens, Michael. Because the cast is so huge, it's hard to pin down. Like Jeffrey Wright, Scar, Joe, Jason Schwartzman, Tilda Swinton. They have some big scenes. Ed Norton. I don't know. Schwartzman yeah, would have to get lead, right? Right. That's what I would think. And, and so would Scar Joe, wouldn't she? Unless they all went supporting, and then maybe Schwartzman actually has an advantage. Like if, they, if Jason Schwartzman goes supporting, I Can think there's... purposeful category fraud? Per, but but is it really category fraud? He's not in that much of the movie. He's probably comparable to other supporting actors in terms of screen time. I would like Matthew Barry to do that, please. <laughs> I got his last name right. I love his Twitter handle. I think it's Matthew Barry anyway. Or is he the fantasy football guy? Jesus. Yeah, Christ. Matthew Barry is definitely the fantasy definitely football guy. Definitely. He might also be the screen time guy. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a jerk. I, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't know that I see any acting making the... Uh... All right, so basically, production design, to me, an original screenplay, that's probably catnip to this Academy, and he's score. been nominated so many times. So you would say score. So if, You don't if, think so? I don't know. I, I'm a, I hope so. 
but it could be just a loaded year, right? I mean, we still got Dune. I mean, w- when we actually do out the score, it might be a a loaded eighth place or ninth place, even though it's a fun little ditty. Maybe not. I don't know. So it's a weird over-under here. Director, picture, obviously he could come into play. If this movie gets momentum, you could see a lot of coattail nominations. I wanted to put a over-under of 4.5 and be bullish, and I, yes, I guess I still that will. That, but So you, you wouldn't put a over-under on that? You would take an easy under? I Yeah, I think I would put it at like 2.5. And, and would you take the over or under? Would you take the over in there? I'd probably take the under. Just, I mean, it's just such a weird movie. Hmm. And and even even the critics who love it, it's not like it's blowing, you know, Metacritic and Rotten Tomatoes and all those critic score sites away, right? It's not like a universally fawned over thing by people who even do this for a living. A B meta B cinema score, you know, I don't know that it's got the legs for. Yeah, maybe not that type maybe of Oscars not. run that. When you whenever you have a puzzler, it's got to delight people at least on a technical level. I mean, Mulholland Drive was one nominee, <laughs> director, right? It's it's just, I mean, this is kind of like a Mulholland Drive type thing we're dealing with. Not exactly, obviously, but yeah, a brain screw, right? This this is not necessarily there. I think production design, original screenplay. To me, I bang the table for those two, and I, I do think the screenplay is so involved. So nuanced. I didn't say it before, but I, I think he's working on different levels here. I'm a fan. I agree. I mean, the screenplay, I love the idea of it, but I didn't know what I loved about it until after I read up on it and did homework on it. So I wonder how that's going to affect yeah, if maybe. other people have that affliction. Maybe. He's just, he has been nominated a bunch. Let me just go through his uh, history. I mean, two Best Animated Feature noms. Fantastic Mr. Fox and Isle of Dogs. Grand Budapest obviously won four of nine Oscar nominations. We had Best Director nom from Grand Budapest. His only Best Director nom, his only Best Picture nom there as well. Three Best Original Screenplay nominations with no wins thus far. Moonrise Kingdom, Royal Tenenbaums, and Grand Budapest. So I I thought for some reason there would be more production designs in there, but really only... Yeah, you would think so. Grand Budapest production design. So I I think that's becoming iconic right now and and screenplay. So you might be right. This might be a two-nominee, but if we do get momentum for Desplat's score, do you think it goes picture as well? And this is one of the ten? Well, if you do picture, don't you kind of have to do director Hmm. with this type of movie? I don't know. I mean, can you imagine nominating Wes Anderson's movie in Best Picture and not nominating Wes Anderson? I could see it falling through, right? I mean, we you you we, you said it. Do, They're so Dune intertwined with Villeneuve. I mean, he's getting yeah, but Villeneuve now. Villeneuve isn't. I mean, Dune at least is a standalone property too. No, like Wes Anderson is the property. Mm-hmm. It'd be like I don't know. It'd be like nominating Tarantino a Tarantino movie without nominating Tarantino. I think he is getting nominated in the screenplay category, but yeah. I don't know. That's it's going to be interesting. It's, it's, it's going to be something to keep an eye on for sure. I, I'm, I am intrigued by. If the field comes back to this movie, we probably could expect a bigger day for it. it well, it, there's enough of a runway, too. This is being released in the summer, so right. people could come back to it and give it a second watch later on in the winter and be like, oh, I get it now. So let's see <laughs> if 
because it's going to be a hit, right? So let's see if the film festival movies of the fall deliver. Because we've had yeah. years where a lot of them have fallen flat, and we've come back to movies from the first half of the year, and they become much more bona fide. So this this could be one of those. We can try to spoil it. <laughs> Spoilers ahead! This is... Some of our information about outer space may no longer be completely accurate. Anyway, there's still only nine planets in the solar system as far as we know, Billy. Except now there's an alien. A spoiler warning. This is the spoiler section for the movie Asteroid City, brought to you by Wes Anderson, the Oscars profile episode from Mike, Mike, and Oscar. If you've not seen the movie yet, this is a good place for you to hit pause on us. Go check out Asteroid City at your local, nearest local. Those (laughs) words wanted to combine in my mouth, but anyway, your nearest movie theater. uh, We'll be here waiting for you to come back and hit play on us. If you've seen the movie already, you're just curious to hear our thoughts. It will be spoilers about the plot from this moment on Asteroid City, the Wes Anderson film, brought to you by Mike, Mike, and Oscar. Um... So, what uh, what is this? <laughs> All right, well, let's start from the beginning. And I, we're not going to be able to break down this whole thing, but the framing of this story is nuts. So bear with me for a second. I'm actually going to read Brian Cranston's opening. He opens up and says, Asteroid City does not exist. And he's hosting this TV special from wxyz television that looks like a black and white (laughs) broadcast on a very narrow aspect ratio tv from the 50s even though everybody that i read about up on this movie about says it's from 1995 anyway this is brian cranston it is an imaginary drama created expressly for the purposes of this broadcast (laughs) what the characters (laughs) are fictional the text hypothetical the events an apocryphal fabrication uh-huh. So Wes Anderson made a movie about a fake play within the play that he filmed as a fourth wall breaking mockumentary of a fake television station's fake broadcast. And Walter White tells us this in the first scene before Tyler Durden pretends to be Tennessee Williams reading the <laughs> stage directions. So what's real life? Like, is Cranston real life in this, or is that still part of the television broadcast? He's fucking with us. (laughs) Wes Anderson is deliberately effing with us in this movie. He's trying to do this, like, meta-narrative onion, this Russian doll, right? Like, he is totally screwing with us because I think he wants to talk about the the art artistic community and how they try and overanalyze him or overanalyze anything. But really, I think this movie is speaking out to how people react to uncertainty and things they don't understand. Like, I don't know the pandemic. (laughs) Yeah. The meaning of life. But see like the Cranston opening, I wish I took it more literally. This so reminded me of the first time I watched Mulholland Drive, which is why I want to get back to it. Because the first time I watched Mulholland Drive, I hated it Mm because it was the same thing. I didn't understand what the hell, like why is the camera zooming into a pillow? What the hell is going on? Like why is Brian, (laughs) I, I read the Brian Cranston introduction as akin to like, like the opening of Black Klansman when Spike Lee goes through all the like, you know, has, uh, who was it, Samuel L. reading the speech to us or whatever. I thought it was just like a table setter. I didn't expect it to be the B storyline for the movie, right. which in and of itself was its own meta commentary within a meta television presentation. <laughs> because he could have just stayed with the Asteroid City play, just like every one of his other movies mm-hmm. are just within themselves uh, and we don't 
have any meta-ness about them, correct? I mean, he just made this, what do you call those movies with the multiple stories, the vignettes and whatnot? Uh, the, the, da, ba, ba. Yeah, I French know Dispatch about. is yeah. like a, a um, anthology. anthology film. Thank you. you he just made an anthology film. Wouldn't this have been better in an anthology film to have a narrator take us through all the stories and talk about the right. deconstruction of all of his little vignettes? But no, he actually told a, the most Wes Anderson-y story out there, and he put this black and white narrative in on the side. And that actually climaxes the film. And there's some of the most meaningful scenes that are just kind of done in rooms talking about the making of the production. What is that all about? Like the biggest scene between Augie Steenbeck and, and coming to grips with what the play is about and the actor playing Augie Steenbeck, the Jason Schwartzman character, happens when he talks to the actress who is supposed to play his dead wife, Margot Robbie, who actually gives him permission to have closure and move on. And she's talking about the scene that they were supposed to have together on the alien planet. And she got cut from the movie. Cut from the movie. It was a deleted scene that has the meaning of the film in it <laughs> so by the time like for me by the time i realized oh like cranston is the narrate like it's not just setting the frame of the movie that you're supposed to view this through it's like actually a part of the movie even though it's not part of the movie it's presenting the movie it was too late for me to like piece all together what i was missing so i was just lost throughout the majority of this well i think the movie is about being lost and right. you have the that alien. Looper article put it like, why do why do we do what we do as humans? And I really li- like like I got that out of it. Like, why did we react? Why did our obsessions become our obsessions during the pandemic? pandemic. Why did we react the way we reacted during the pandemic? I, I, I got that while watching it. How do we deal with such a ominous level of uncertainty? How do right. we face oblivion? How do we? Deal with things Did Wes Anderson outside. like Jordan Peele's nope? Yeah. Right, those types of questions. <laughs> you, you, you tweeted, this is Wes Anderson's nope. I agree. And that this is how do you deal with shit outside of your control. And it's wild to watch all the different reactions from all the different characters doing it. And it's fun to, to deal with these questions in such a hilariously blunt film where characters <laughs> are just so overtly making me laugh and and how they deal with this like the, you have Tom Hanks and Augie Steenbeck at, and, and Schwartzman after the alien lands just talking about how they could commute the girls to their elementary school by driving the golf cart through the 14th green and here <laughs> Woodrow the son the oldest son's like why why aren't we talking about the alien don't you guys want to talk <laughs> about the alien like what's out there what's like, what's out there? The, the meaning of life. Maybe there is one. <laughs> the way he phrased that just had me dying in stitches. So I the lo- part when the, alien, when the alien comes back, like they've, they've done the exploitation and they turn Asteroid City into like a farce of itself. And it's a carnival now. And the alien comes back and drops off the uh, the artifact after processing it, and the government requarantines them. And Leave Schreiber gets up with a laser gun and just like the mayhem starts. It was like obviously the tipping point for the pandemic when we're like, we can't take any more of this. Can't like take. two weeks to flatten the curve is nonsense. We're gonna be in this house forever. And I th- oh, I lost it. I think he was like he was in Europe, right? I mean, Wes Anderson, he was in Great Britain or something. 
So that's I hope what so. kept I hope he happening. Wasn't here. <laughs> yeah, that's what kept happening. In, it kept in Great popping Britain, up. Yeah, especially. So it's funny. Like there's this uh, art article on Inverse.com where all of the the cast members were, you know, interviewed and what did they, what did they think the movie was about? Maybe we could trade quick. You know, rip these off. See if they give us any insight. Jeffrey Wright said the story I think is a metaphor for the story of our lives uh, and I think that's a man who has no idea what movie he's in <laughs> <laughs> and I think maybe if you can distill it down to one thing the story the play is about pressing on it's about persevering surviving and maybe even flourishing it's about keep moving <laughs> for, for, for Brody Adrian Brody Asteroid City is about acting and filmmaking and how they're related to the American dream we're telling a story about the West and the West in another time a nostalgic time in American history, and it's really a theater production made in the East, envisioning the West, which is also very interesting. Okay, some geography. We mm -hmm. have Stephen Park, who plays another parent, naturally brings it back to the children who carry the emotional thread of the film. Quote, it's a celebration of intelligence, human intelligence, and also wonder, he says. Wonder at the unknown and trusting. Keep telling the story. Keep moving forward. So how did like all these characters react to all these cosmic mysteries and, and some of them it's hilarious but some double down on the science others hunker down on all of the protocols like the military guys some of the kids and cowboys they just write songs and goof around i mean the, the girls are just becoming witches <laughs> you have the governments <laughs> just so decide or you have some people just letting the other people handle it, like Tom Hanks and Scar Joe and Schwartzman, and they're just focused on their own lives. You have Steve trying, yep. trying to do the status quo, or Maya Hawk's like, well, I was going to do a lesson on Neptune before the alien came down yesterday, <laughs> so I'm just going to keep doing it. <laughs> keep pressing on, as as I think Jeffrey Wright said there. But, uh, you know, others try to profit. <laughs> Steve Carell mm -hmm. is like the guy from The Simpsons, right? Just, or his family guy was it, trying to profit on everything. I mean, the stargazers want to expose the government cover-up. The government wants to cover it up. And yes, there's a thread. There is a thread of self-destruction here. Leah Schreiber and all of these parents, they're drinking those cantina machine, <laughs> those vending machine martinis. I forgot about that. Yeah. To the point where they're willing to have standoffs with soldiers with death rays <laughs> and machine guns. <laughs> There's that, and like you said, Liev Schreiber hears there's another quarantine, he immediately shoots the poster <laughs> in a military quarantine. <laughs> what a nut! And then, of course, there's a the question that you know they actually see that they're they're trying to. I appreciate this because he's trying to seed us from the trigger warnings of it all, the self harm that's going to happen. Why does Augie burn his hand on the quickie griddle? Yeah, that's like the mystery. Like, why do people self destruct? So I guess and that's at least alluded to like that's that's given a lot of I mean, it's not even alluded to or given like a, a foreboding type thing. Like you have the scene where Schwartzman and Ed Norton discuss that vividly, mm. that particular specific thing. Like, why is Augie going to do this? And then he does it later on. And it does come from out of nowhere within the scene. But we at least know it's coming. So there's all these like paradoxical questions being asked. And it's kind of. It's it's important that what we get as a big textual meaning at the end of this whole thing is a paradoxical chicken in the egg, asinine, pretentious art at its worst statement of if if you, you can't wake up if you don't fall asleep. You can't wake up if you don't. Yeah, no shit. It's, it's a 
keep dreaming. Great. Okay. So I mean, so what I, you? What does that mean to you? To me, he's he's poking fun at the pretentiousness of the of the art establishment. There, he is totally poking fun at it. And what he's what he wants to end the movie with, and what, what what's the real theme of this story? We we end the film in the epilogue. We don't end the film in the Adrian Brody. You know the the Stanislavski method acting nonsense. We end the movie in asteroid city where he's like you know what i'd rather be here and i'd rather talk about people taking refuge in one another facing their fears facing oblivion facing all this shit i'd rather take refuge in in my other in my loved ones and my characters and i guess if you're boiling down what the hell the pandemic was about it's all we what we all had to do no Isn't that yeah comforting? that's <laughs> or not I'd maybe not. except there's a lot of people within asteroid city who are willfully looking away from the the questions and the big thing threatening them. Yes. And some of them couldn't handle it, but you had couple I mean multiple couplings going on. You had the the cowgirl uh, Maya Hawk and Rupert Friend. You Montana. Had... <laughs> <laughs> Who gives the most milk toast speech about of of patriotism and encouragement to a group of kids who don't give a shit about what he's saying. <laughs> Maybe the alien went there, and then the kid, yeah, the kid comes up with the song. Uh, you have obviously Augie and Midge Campbell, the Marilyn Monroe character. They start a romance, and she leaves him. Uh, that's pretty funny that she left him her PO box number. So there's kind of maybe, <laughs> sort of like you're gonna have to do some work if you really want this to to go forward. But she's such a walking contradiction. Or she's the type of character that if you stir it up with her, that's why her and Adrian Brody don't get along so well. They they hate each other so much that they love each other. The minute he contradicts her, now she's interested. Right. <laughs> she's such God. an actress. Uh, so the minute you stir shit up with her, the, now she's smitten. Now she, yeah, so she gives him a P.O. box number. Uh, but th- she describes their connection as two deeply traumatized people, neither of whom want to express their own sadness. And therefore, yeah, let's let's do this. <laughs> Are you kidding me? Uh, you have Augie Steenbeck and the father-in-law. You never liked me, did you? Well, I never loved you. You didn't think I was good enough for your daughter, did you? Yeah, well, we're, we're saying the same thing. Yeah, I love that. that killed me. That killed me. And, and, but eventually he lets his father-in-law help him because why? Because, hey, me too. I'm grieving too. And the father-in-law gets, Tom Hanks gets put in his place by the three girls at the end trying to dig up his daughter's ashes. It's great, but that's what he needs. So, I mean, again, characters taking refuge in each other. I mean, you even have closure, like I said, with the Margot Robbie scene for not Augie Steenbeck, but the actor playing Augie Steenbeck, Jason Schwartzman, whoever his his other name was. I'm glad I can't keep track. But Margot Robbie tells him in the fake scene to replace her as his wife <laughs> i don't get the play well guess what now you do because your character has to move on from the grief i mean that's it's it ultimately boils down to be that simple and good god michael woodrow steenbeck the two teenagers dinah grace edwards they have this romance he talks about he bangs the table when i if i or i gotta find a symbol to put on the moon <laughs> intergalactic marketing (laughs) this is going to be our legacy and what does he put up there ws plus dc in a heart like he'd carve out a tree (laughs) i that that was the good stuff while the mayhem's going down too yeah he Um, puts a a love letter to his girlfriend oh my god that he met last (laughs) week it is it is a nuts movie 
I mean, yeah. there's just uh, there's too much to take in on one viewing too, which is also why I think like it may be Wes Anderson's most ambitious ever because he's commenting, I think, on so many different things. But there's no way Academy voters are going to like absorb this in one viewing. I was uh, I was trying to find like a theme that could wrap them all together, and I did find a YouTube video. Uh, it's it's basically talking about postmodernism and postmodernism started after World War II, right? And I'm not a scholar in this sense, but postmodernism during what we have now or versus what we have now in terms of metamodernism. You get all these meta narratives and multiverses and good God, you got Space Jam, a new legacy and whatever the hell that was. And that's the one you go to. That's what came to mind. <laughs> we, have, uh, we have multi-billion dollar, multi-22-dozen <laughs> dozen film franchises built around the metaverse. All right, fine. You have Spider-Verses <laughs> and you have... And you go to Space Jam 2, a new legacy? <laughs> it was a failed version of this whole multiversal <laughs> okay. nonsense. But look, this movie is, you're dealing in this metaverse here. And those two things are going against each other. And why I I lost this guy's name. I want to say it's like Jeffrey Taylor or something. Good God. Where is he out of here? Taylor J. Williams. Excuse me. (laughs) Taylor J. Williams. Make sure you guys look him up on YouTube. Uh, He did like his nine minute thing where he's reading like the probably essay he wrote for his uh, doctorate or whatever film. (laughs) It It was well, well done above my head to an extent. Uh, look, I think I think there's some points here, though. And he got into ultimately he got into Wes Anderson on politics and how fascism is such a such a, a villain in all these movies. And you you got a bit of a, a fascist you know undertone to the villainy in this movie, even though it's not overstated. But the U.S. government and the quarantines, etc., and whatever you have you have AI being something that makes fun of Wes Anderson online in a way, mm-hmm. right? AI being kind of a fascist stranglehold on creativity out there, perhaps in the moment in the discourse right now. So, again, I think I think if he you're, if he's deconstructing the deconstructions of him with this storyline, then you could say he's deconstructing the AI, and therefore, again, you, you know, the meta modernism here is uh, is not something he wants to live in. That's ultimately what we get out of the story because it. He wants to live in the stories themselves. And so that's why I said it's kind of like a reset for Wes Anderson. He's done with all the bullshit in a way, you know? So it's him saying, it's Wes Anderson saying, I want to live in my movie. I want to live in my movie. I don't want to live in the bullshit that goes into making my movie. No, I think he's saying, I don't want to live in the bullshit discourses out there overanalyzing all the movies or overanalyzing all the uncertainty. Oh, so he just hates us. I think he's, he's getting a little fed up with people out there. <laughs> all right. All I think, right. you know. And, and, well, and that guy can play for my team any day. <laughs> right. <laughs> Am I doing it right? I feel like I'm getting my heart broken every single night. Good. I still don't under, understand the play. That doesn't matter. Just keep telling, <laughs> telling the story. I mean, there's some great quotes in this movie. Jeff Goldblum in the costume as the alien. I decided to play the alien as a metaphor. <laughs> for what? For what? I, I don't know. <laughs> Are you kidding me? There's some great all time. What was the what was the um the significance of the cop chases? 
That's the thing. It, the, well, here's the, here's the only reference I could pull from the the car that kept get, getting chased by the cop car. It was always a shootout too. Shootout with the motorcycle behind it getting shielded by the windows of the cop car. How do you not? <laughs> how do you miss? Anyway, who cares? But th- it's in the song. The song at the end of the movie is about an outlaw getting to the train to 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 get away from the cops. Outlaw who's ruined his life. Like, what does that mean? I, I'm guessing that's the Bottle Rocket reference. Bottle okay. Rocket was about a couple outlaw yeah. sons. All right. So the beginning, of the, or beginning, middle, and end, Bottle Rocket still. So this was one. Wes Anderson making Wes Anderson Cinematic Universe in one uh, standalone movie with Wes Anderson providing director's commentary as spoken through the actors offstage, breaking the fourth wall. Yeah. I, I think I think Wes Anderson is taking shots at the whole metaverse and the multiverses and all that shit with this movie. That's my guess. I mean, I don't have a stranglehold on this movie to say that word again. I don't have it, but that's my guess. Like I said, I mean, talk and just as a means of like wrapping up, having no idea what I was watching throughout the majority of this, other than like having basic, you know, Oh, this is clearly about the pandemic. This is clearly about, you know, why are we doing the things we do type things? Uh, I still enjoyed watching it. Yes. (laughs) I had fun. I don't think you, you know, for as much of a story junkie as, as we are. And I am here, like this is one thing where I didn't quite understand the story. And I still thought it was pleasant to watch and follow along with and look at. I have a lot of scenes and sequences in this movie that are my happy place, which is why yeah. I went back again and again on my A-list, and I enjoyed watching this movie three times. So, yeah, I'll enjoy watching it again. I, again, I'm a sucker for it. I'm that white, I guess. That just <laughs> is what it is. And we're sorry for being that we're white. So- I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It's just that as a white guy, this movie speaks to me. <laughs> I've been seen again. I've, I'm seen yeah, again. I've been well, seen in every God, single movie. There's just thank not goodness, enough right? movies out there. For a yeah. hundred years, white guys have been seen in movies. Right. But this is, yeah, we're, you know, we're, we're pieces of shit, aren't we? You're just the worst. <laughs> Thanks, Wes Anderson. <laughs> Thanks a lot. Uh, what do you got for a grade? I can't. I can't avoid a B plus on this one. I, I had like vacillating B plus 87, 88. I think I'm going to give it an 88 at the end of the day. I did enjoy myself. I think there's a lot to, to chew on here. It's a lot to study. And I, I do. I want to see it again, even though I saw it three times in four nights. I'm tempted to give it like a nonsense answer. Like, <laughs> oh, my grade is square. You know, like yeah. <laughs> my grade is purple. Uh, I, I, yeah, I'm a B, I, a B minus, I guess. The deal. But I, I have a feeling. Go ahead. Yeah. You, well, you grade it the deed to the parcel of the desert, which is actually a 50-year <laughs> loan that <laughs> expires, and right. you own a piece of the town, but it expires. <laughs> you bought nothing for $10, didn't you? <laughs> which is hilarious. It's like the movie ticket for the... <laughs> what did you buy? What did you buy? That $10 movie ticket. Oh, it was funny. So um, I, I imagine when I rewatch this, my grade will go up significantly. But yeah, I just a weird movie, man. Weird. What um, did you grade it again? Yeah, I missed it. Did you, did B you minus. B I'll minus. B minus. Yeah. Right. It, it'll go up on, on whenever I get back to this. Sounds good. I, I like I said to you, like I'm more impressed by the people's digestion of it than I am the execution in some ways. But also, I mean, had I known what I was in for, I think I would have gotten a better understanding of what I was watching and the execution of it anyway. So if I enjoy the watching the movie, 
I enjoy films that that make me question what the hell's going on and what the hell's it's about. Yeah. Like Bo is afraid. Not a fun time for me at the movies, even though I can recognize a lot of great craft in there. There's a lot of great scenes. Not having fun watching it, so I don't care to figure yeah. out the overall meaning. Here I do. So that yeah, yeah, I, that's where I kind of land on this one. Same it's goes fun. for being Avatar two there. Fun to figure out Avatar <laughs> don't, two. Don't give a shit about what's happening to those people. <laughs> so you don't, yeah, you know, you're not going to watch the Seed Bearer, are you, Mike? <laughs> no, I'm going to have no. to get a guest host if that's an Oscar contender, aren't I? Bear Mike? my seeds. <laughs> here we go. I can bear no more. How about Welcome that? back, my friend. Welcome back to MMO. Yeah, here we go. <laughs> As always, dear listener, what matters most to us are your thoughts. Have you seen Asteroid City? What did you think of it? What was your initial interpretation of just what the hell was going on on screen? Or did you have a better handle on it than Mike and I here on your first viewing? Uh, let us know all that as well as any other thoughts, comments, questions, or concerns you have for anything else we do here in the MMO Empire. As always, you can leave us those on our social medias. We are Mike, Mike, and Oscar on Facebook and Instagram at Oscar on Twitter, Mike, Mike, and Oscar at gmail.com. And on Reddit, we are available wherever you do hear podcasts. If you're listening to us on either the Apple Podcasts or Spotify apps, if you appreciate what we do here, uh, if you wouldn't mind leaving us a five-star review on those, those help us out immensely. Thank you to everyone who has managed to do so thus far. Michael, let's have some words of wisdom and tell the good people what's coming next. Oscar race checkpoints most likely will be our next two or one or two episodes. Uh, And a lot of news, a lot of trailers, a lot of movies to review. I watched The Flash. I watched No Hard Feelings. I have very definitive (laughs) reviews for each one of those movies. And uh, I, I, yeah, just I'll tease you in that regard. And then, yeah, we got to review Past Lives. You guys know I like that one quite a bit. I'm wondering if Mike's going to like it yet. But as that movie expands... We got a we got a nice ramp up to to review past lives. Maybe maybe this is an original screenplay nominee as well, and we have those two movies vying for original screenplay as, as an Oscar uh, win there. So this, this that could be mm. Greta Lee and uh, Wes Anderson. We'll see. So I uh, I definitely love that we got a lot of. Uh, Oscary stuff in the spring here, Michael. It's it's a lot of fun. And uh, stop calling it the spring. The the the, early, the late spring, early summer. Is it summer yet? It's summer. As of like the twentieth, I think it was summer. All right. Well, fine. The early <laughs> summer. I'll call it. Or I let's con- let's compromise. Early summer. It's fine. <laughs> well, a lot of cool stuff here. Yeah, and um, a lot of stuff to come too. Was I, I supposed to give words of wisdom? I don't know. If you I could, if you want. Yeah. What do you got? <clears throat> um, let's see. I like uh, I like Tom Hanks's pants. I'm gonna get some Life there Aquatic pants. So I think <laughs> I think if you can pull off weird shit all over your golf pants, you're you're next level in terms of a, a, fa- a fashionable person. You think you know? so? Like if you can wear I pajamas mean, like, on a golf course, well. But isn't that what most like? Isn't most golf d- d- fashion ridiculous? I don't play golf. I do a movie podcast that I, I uh, on top of everything else in my life. I don't play golf. You don't freaking play golf, do you? I used to. I I couldn't because of my back, but yeah. I used to all the time in high school. Nah. I want to get back to it. No, you don't. <laughs> okay. No, you don't. Because you got to wear freaking weird ass pants like that. Yeah, I love weird ass pants. You kidding me? <laughs> buy buy a pair of those and get a free bowl of soup. <laughs> Caddyshack rewatch coming. Caddyshack rewatch. Yeah. Uh, uh, I was going to make a Chubbs reference so we can end on Adam Sandler, who should have been on this movie. Perfect. But, uh, I won't. There you go. Guys, as always, when reality sucks, you can come hit the links with us. We are Mike, Mike, and Oscar trying to make award season year-round. Without the stuffiness, we will see you very soon. See ya. See ya.